morning, everybody. My name is Justin Ray, and I just want to say it's so good to see you. Uh, I have the joy of serving here at Tri-Cities as your student pastor, and it is such a privilege and honor uh, to, alongside our 20, 25-plus team of volunteers, partner with you to help students discover joy in Jesus. And this year, we're discovering what it looks like to really love our local church and how students really, as Jesus followers, belong to and live in and operate within the community that we call the local church. And so all throughout this semester, students are learning and exploring what it looks like to love this church body and to really find their place in it. I just want to thank you for being a church that welcomes and wants that and for joining us in that pursuit. It's such a gift. Uh, and we're also gearing up for our fall retreat. We call it the Great Escape. It's happening November 3rd through the 5th. Your final day to register is this Friday, October 27th. If you know a student, we would love for them to be there. Uh, so be sure to invite them. Or if you are a student, we want you there. Go ahead and register at tcbchurch.org. Again, it's great to be with you. We are in the book of Hebrews, chapter 13. Really, we've seen up to this point, the author of Hebrews has laid out his theological argument, all to see that Jesus is better. Jesus is better. I love the word better because it's a comparative term. In other words, there is something lesser and there is something greater. There is a picture and there is the fulfillment, the reality, the substance. In this series, we've seen that Jesus is better. As the author of Hebrews of Hebrews is addressing this Jewish community. He's inviting them to no longer live life in the shadows and prior pictures, but through a better priest, a better hope, a better rest, they can begin to step out of the shadows and into fullness. That is Jesus. Likewise, you and I are able to step out of the shadows and walk in fullness of life and a right relationship with Jesus Christ. Last week, Pastor Mike showed us that faith, it brings worship. Faith in Jesus brings worship. This is the rightful response to redemption. To the reality that Jesus is better, we respond in worship. If you consider the conclusion of Hebrews 12, remember he says in verse 28, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Again, last week we saw that faith in Jesus brings Worship, but what does that look like? What does it look like to live that out in our everyday life? What does it practically look like in our homes, amongst our families, at our jobs, in our workplaces, in the places that we play and rest? What does it look like to live a life of worship and continual response to the worth of Jesus? If he is better, it informs our pursuits and it drastically transforms the way that we live. What we do in light of his priesthood, his covenant, his sacrifice, 
and his hope. You see, what you believe is lived out in your pursuit. You always act according to what you think is better. You always act according to what you think is better. And so if we truly believe that Jesus is better, then it will be made evident in the way that we use our money. It will be evident in our pursuits of purity. It will be evident in the way that we love our wives. You see, what you believe is truly lived out in your pursuit. Every day, you are making known whether Jesus is better or if he's not. But when you are gripped by the supremacy of Christ, it has implications for your interpersonal relationships. It informs the entirety of your way of life. It presses on your comfort and it demands your praise. Worship is the pursuit of Jesus because it is a continual response to his worth. And because he is infinitely worthy, we live every day in response to this, a life of worship. But as we begin to examine what a life of worship looks like lived out practically, the author, you know, he's, he's pretty smart. He knows where he's going. And so verse, or I'm sorry, chapter 13 answers this question for us. He shows us what worship with skin on looks like. He shows us what is acceptable to God. He doesn't leave us to wonder or guess, but he helps us and tells us. So we see this in chapter 13, verse 1. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them. And those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body, let marriage be held in honor among all. And let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money, and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured for here we have no lasting city but we seek the city that is to come through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God let's pray Father, this morning as we look at Hebrews chapter 13, Lord, we acknowledge that you are worthy of worship. 
and we're quick to say that with our lips. And yet, Lord, I pray that it would not be true of us that our hearts are far from you. Father, I pray that we would worship you with our lips as an overflow of our hearts. I pray that we would worship you with the entirety of our lives in response to your worth and the redemption costs that you've paid through Jesus. So Lord, in this time together, show us what it looks like to respond to Jesus in a life of worship. It's in your name we pray, amen. So again, we're considering this question. What does Jesus' better look like lived out day to day? What is acceptable worship that you and I are called to offer to this infinitely worthy God? Here in the first six verses, well, let me back up a little bit. Our big truth for the morning is Jesus' followers worship sacrificially. Jesus' followers worship sacrificially. In verses one through six, we see the author of Hebrews say, let brotherly love continue. In other words, he's acknowledging the presence that there is a current existence of love among the brothers and sisters in the family of God. He says, it's there, it's present. I see it, I feel it, I hear of it. But it must continue. It must continue to to grow. It must continue to increase and mature and endure in love for the brother and sister. Verse 2, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them. And those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body, let marriage be held in honor among all. And let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. This brings us to our first big idea this morning, and that is this. Offer your love to God in sacrificial worship. Offer your love to God in sacrificial worship. In these verses, we see the love that you and I are called to as a response to the worth of Jesus and how it saturates every single interpersonal relationship that you and I find ourselves in. It fills and informs the way that we interact with every sphere of social life. Again, first off, we see it amongst the brothers, the sisters, that is the family of God. I don't know about you, but I have two siblings. I have a a twin brother and an older sister. We don't always get along. We haven't always gotten along. I'm thankful that our relationship uh, through our commitment to love one another has endured. And I'd say right now we have a pretty good relationship. Uh, I long for their good, they long for my good. When things are hard, we talk through it, we work it out. We're there for each other, we've got each other's backs and we're committed to one another's growth. And so here within this family, we see much larger that your family is not just that of necessarily birth or blood. Rather, those within this family are those who have been born of God into this redeemed community. You see, much like our families, there's going to be disagreement. You can expect here, in this redeemed community, 
that there will be, dis- be disagreements among us. But how do we respond to them? We respond in a commitment to endure in love for one another. Regardless, there is a commitment to love amongst the brothers and sisters because we have first been loved by our Father. And it wasn't you who caused yourself to be born again. It was God. So we are born not of ourselves, but of God. We are loved of him, and thus we should love each other. The kingdom, if you remember in verse 28 in chapter 12, it remains. Though everything else is shaken, the kingdom still stands. So must our love. It should remain. It should continue. It should endure. It should increase and grow amongst one another. And as we learn to love each other, we're also learning how to love others as well. You see, not only are we called to love brothers and sisters in Christ, but this love moves, moves towards strangers, those who are unfamiliar or foreign to us. In other words, we don't know them. Here we see in verse 2, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. At this time, hospitality really was a matter of life and death. Many Jesus followers are fleeing persecution. And the warm welcome of a brother or sister in Christ would act as a refuge for them in their fleeing. Hospitality was a matter of life or death. And yet it was also a way for Jesus followers to connect with one another in a world that was causing them to scatter. Do not neglect to show hospitality. Hospitality is not just waving at your neighbor as you're cutting the grass and they're outside. It's not just driving by and just saying, hey, how are you? And good, how are you? It's not hospitality. It's meeting of needs. It's the welcoming of others into your home and busting out the red carpet for them. And you're like, Justin, do you know where we are? We're in the South. We are in Tennessee, people. If anybody knows hospitality, it's going to be the South, right? I hope that our hospitality is not a cultural thing. I hope it's a gospel thing, motivated by grace. But this hospitality... Though in the South, we are known for it nationwide. I hope this hospitality moves beyond just our friends and those who are familiar. I hope our opening of our homes and our seats at our tables are open to those that may be unfamiliar to us and not just those who think the same and look the same. You see, our hospitality is called to break demographic borders and political party distinctions and income and gender preference we are to show hospitality to the stranger when was the last time that you had a stranger in your home when was the last time you invited someone unfamiliar at your table who you eat with says a lot about your heart come to church prepared to introduce you to some to introduce yourself to somebody to Go ahead and before you come to the gathering, go ahead and set the crock pot, 
knowing that you are going to intentionally come to church to introduce yourself to an unfamiliar stranger and say, hey, you should come over. Not that, hey, are you new? Let me get your number. And then a month later, maybe we can grab lunch. I know I'm guilty of that. But to come intentionally to show hospitality to the stranger. I think oftentimes in regard to the stranger, we're immediately closed and cut off and cold. That should not define the Christian. We should be warm and welcoming to the stranger. Sure, there's a place of discernment at times and wisdom, but our default cannot be immediately no. As a response of worship, we must always be seeking to love. Hospitality to strangers is a very concrete expression of that love. You may or may not welcome angels along the way, but you will radically impact the lives of others in the name of Jesus through your home and at your table. We see next in verse 3 to remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. So Jesus followers again, they're fleeing persecution for the sake of their lives as their homes are being plundered and all that they have is being taken, many of them were imprisoned in the name of Jesus, mistreated and suffering in chains as a result of their faith, their confident trust in Jesus. Here we see a call, as the Lord is directing our love to others, we see a call to care for those who suffer innocently. For the the Jesus follower within the family, the brother and sister and those mistreated in the name of Christ to care for them as though you were in prison with them. Bound, I love what one commentator says, bound to those in bonds. Bound to those in bonds. What does it mean to remember those who are in prison? Well, one, it's easy to forget about them. They're not with you. They're not in front of you. And yet they're suffering for the name of Christ. So we are called to remember them, to consider their needs, to visit them, to care for them. Since you also are in the body. When it comes to the stranger and when it comes to those in prison, it calls to mind Matthew 25. He says in verse 35, For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Jesus then goes on to say, the people respond, When did we see you, a stranger, and welcome you? When did we see you imprisoned? Jesus makes a connection for them, showing the correlation of their response to him played out in how they respond to others. When he says this, whatever you did to the least of these, you did to me. There's a direct correlation between your love for others and your love for Jesus. He then, moving from very unfamiliar stranger territory to prison, now to one of the most intimate relationships, here we see our love directed to marriage. In verse 4, let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. Here we see a call in love 
as a response to the worth of Jesus to hold marriage in honor. Marriage is God's good design. And when he says, let it be held in honor, he's advocating that it should be seen as valuable among all, among grandparents and parents and kids, among those in church and those outside of church, among those in your workplace, that marriage should be held in honor among all, and yet, unfortunately, marriage is not highly esteemed within our culture. It is not valued, it is not cherished, it is not prized or seen as good. And unfortunately, within the church, at times we fail to uphold its goodness as well. But this is evident within our movies and songs and much of pop culture and couples living together and pursuing intimacy apart from commitment. The attempt to then redefine marriage to say that marriage is not just for a man and a woman. Again, quite frankly, it's not even really seen as valuable or honorable to those within the church. As this is evidenced in increasing divorce rates. And so again, we have this call to hold marriage in honor among all. Bailey and I are about to celebrate our two years of marriage together. And I won't forget the day that she walked down the aisle to me. And she had on her beautiful white dress. She looked great because I know many of you weren't there. So I'll just tell you, she was looking awesome. Bailey's making her way down the aisle to me. And in this picture, what we have within this, this design of marriage is a picture pointing back to the garden. As my wife is making her way down the aisle, it's a picture that points back to the garden, affirming that God's good design for marriage is valuable and to be held in honor. And as she continues down the aisle and we are united, it's a picture pointing ahead to the fulfillment of all things in which Christ will be united with his bride, the church. This is a picture, a beautiful picture of God's redemptive work in time and space between the union between a man and a woman in marriage. It is to be honored. It is to be valued. Couples, how do you value, how do you model the value of marriage? How do you model it for the singles, for the not yet married, for other married couples, for your kids? Does the way of your life model an honor for marriage and its value? Dads, let me tell you this. One of the best things that you can do for your kids is to let them see you love your wife well. One of the best things that you can do for your kids is to love your wife well. Do you honor marriage in the way that you speak of your spouse? Do you honor marriage in the way that you speak to your spouse? Husbands, how do you respond when you don't feel like you get the respect that you deserve? What do you do? Do you see it as an opportunity to worship and magnify Jesus in response to his worth? You will look most like Jesus when you love her as Christ loved the church. 
laying yourself down for her good regardless of what you get. Wives, how do you respond when your husband is not giving you the love that you feel that you're owed? You will look most like Jesus in submission. And though your husband at times may fail to really make it a joy to submit to his leadership, you will look like Jesus even as he submitted unto his father's will. Guard your marriage from dishonor. Here we see in the text the various ways that marriage can be undefiled or dishonored. And really, how the posture of dishonor leads to the act of defiling. We see this when he says, And let marriage be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Here we have a warning. God will judge those who defile and dishonor marriage through sexual immorality and adultery. If anything is causing you to sin, brother or sister, cut it off, pluck it out. Turn from your brokenness and leave it behind and run to Jesus. Whether you're married or not yet married or single, the marriage bed is to be undefiled and pure in what we look at on Instagram and how we interact with others at the gym and in all of life circles. We are to respond and worship to God by loving our spouses faithfully. Turn from your brokenness, leave it behind, and run to Jesus. Lastly, we see in verse 5, again, we've seen where our love is to be directed. Now we're seeing in verses, uh, rather, verse 4 and 5, where our love is to be directed away from. So the first is, love is to be directed away from sexual immorality and adultery. Now we're seeing love directed away from money. Verse 5, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Keep your life free from the love of money. Would you say you're content? Would you say that you are happy with what you have? I know that sometimes I'm not. And I struggle with discontentment. And I long for the gain that is perceivably in front of me through the acquiring of money and goods. You don't always have to have the newest iPhone or the latest shoes. Do you want to know what freedom looks like here? Freedom from the love of money looks like contentment. And as I fight this in my life, I'm learning from 1 Timothy 6 that there is great gain in godliness. And when coveting arises within my heart, when the perceived gain in things of this world arise in my heart, I stand up and I fight back against it, much like the author of Hebrews, to say, I have great gain in God. You have great gain in God beyond what any earthly possession may give you. And it's better. Jesus is better. But how do we pursue contentment? You see, we have a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And more importantly, a king that will never leave us nor forsake us. So we can confidently say in verse 6, when the love of money and goods rises within our hearts and minds, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. 
offer your love to God in sacrificial worship. In verses 7 through 8, we see here our call to remember our leaders. And here we're going to see that we are called to offer our way of life to God in sacrificial worship. In verse 7, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider those who teach here. Primarily, as our lead pastors, uh, Pastor Paul and Pastor Mike and Pastor Daniel, they shepherd and oversee uh, the word here and its teaching at Tri-Cities. Hebrews really has given us much to consider, and all throughout Scripture we're called to be mindful. Now here we're called to consider our teachers. I want to give an example. Within Matthew, we see... Jesus says, consider the lilies. They don't toil or spin, and yet they're clothed and have what they need. Or consider the ravens. They're not concerned. They're not anxious about where their next meal and where their food is coming from. I take care of them. How much more valuable are you than the birds? Now, when I look at the lilies, and when I look at the birds, it's not because I'm a botanist. It's not because I'm a bird watcher as a hobby. It's because I'm an anxious person who needs to be reoriented around the person of Jesus. And so what we have here in our consideration is the invitation to be mindful of something that is to inform or shape our pursuits. So now let's consider those who teach us, our leaders. As I consider Paul and Mike and Daniel the gifts that we have in them as pastors and their deep biblical conviction and their concern for how this is lived out. When I see them love and lead their wives well and care for them, when I see them patient with their kids and pursue their good for their learning and their growth, their conformity into Christ, when I see the way that they live their life, it fuels this life of faith in me. You see, I'm thankful for pastors who are capable in teaching and preaching so faithfully the word of God. And yet their lives are a continual, continual sermon to me of death to self and life in Christ. Living and breathing examples of faith that model for us a gospel way of life. Within our pastors, we see a model of really worship with skin on. And we likewise are called to offer our way of life to God in sacrificial worship. Offer your way of life to God in sacrificial worship. In verse 9, we see that there are teachings that come in. It's teaching that is pointing away from grace and is advocating back for the pictures and the shadows as means of right standing with God. In verse 9, he says, Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat, for the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest is a sacrifice for sin, are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. 
Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach that he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Offer your comfort to God in sacrificial worship. Again, as these teachings make their way in, advocating for uh, the pictures and the shadows rather than the substance that is Jesus, do not be led away by teaching that is strange or varies from that of historical Christian doctrine. It is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, rooted in the truth of God's word. Not foods. We see that those provide no benefit. Referring back again to the old sacrificial system. Do not follow any teaching that diminishes Christ's sufficient work. Because we have an altar. And here we see it's an altar that we are able to eat from. That others who adhere to their own works and former ways are not able or capable to eat from. This altar is Christ's sacrificial death. Again, those who serve the tent have no right to eat, which is kind of unusual because we see in 1 Corinthians 10, 18, do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? The reason that we participate is because we participate in Christ's sacrificial death. And the former ways of participation no longer work. They're insufficient because this altar is Christ. In verse, let me see, in verse 11, for the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. The sin offering was taken outside of the city to a place outside of the camp, likely the wilderness. The wilderness is not a fun place. It's dangerous out there. You're vulnerable out there. You're likely to suffer out there, outside the camp. But we have a parallel here. A parallel with with the sacrifice that is burned. So Jesus, in verse 12, also suffered outside the gate. Jesus suffered outside the gate. Why? In order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Jesus is going outside the camp to suffer in our place, accomplishes that which the sacrificial system could not accomplish. His blood purchases the sanctification of his people. We see Jesus go outside the camp in John 19. He went out bearing his own cross to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. And there Jesus suffered outside the camp as a sin offering. His blood poured out for you and for me in order that we might be sanctified. He suffered for you and rejected for you that you might be welcomed, that you might be made new and cleansed through his blood. If you remember in Hebrews 9, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. 
It is through the blood of Jesus we are cleansed. And it is through the blood of Jesus that you and I receive a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Therefore, just as Jesus went outside the camp, let us go outside the camp. Let us leave our comfort, let us surrender our earthly security, lay down our worldly comfort, move toward need even if it cost us. The God of the universe did. Jesus did. He bared the reproach, he endured the shame. What makes us think that we aren't called to do the same? The basis of this is that here, we have no lasting city. We have no lasting city here. And I think for many of us, going outside the camp seems like tragic loss. Going outside the camp and leaving our security and comfort is not loss because we seek a better, a lasting city, one that is not shaken. What we're advocating here and what these men and women of faith, what we've seen all throughout Hebrews 11, and that is that there is only gain in Christ. And so it fuels radical living. It fuels the offering of comfort. For here we have no lasting city. I love what Jonathan Edwards says. Resolve to endeavor to obtain for myself as much happiness in the other world as I possibly can with all the power, might, vigor, and vehemence, yea, violence I am capable of or can bring myself to exert in any way that can be thought of. Men and women of faith are consumed with the joy that is to come in the next life, that it informs their pursuits and practices in this life to be satisfied in the one to come and not this present life. This fuels the sacrifice of our comfort because we don't lose anything but gain Christ in the city that is to come. Offer your comfort to God in sacrificial worship and enter into gain. Lastly, we see in verses 15, through him, through our better high priest, through our better sacrifice, through him, not through us, through him, let us continually Offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Offer your praise to God in sacrificial worship. Again, as we are responding to the worth of Jesus, we're saying he deserves it all and we're giving him it all. We're giving him our praise. Let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise. This praise here we see is both verbal and nonverbal. In other words, the praise that you and I are called to offer up is, is one that is lived out in action and one that is verbally spoken. Jesus is worthy of both our praise in our living and our praise of our mouths. What has seeped into the church is this idea that we can do one or the other, but we don't need both. The sentiment of preach the gospel and sometimes use words has infiltrated the church to its detriment and really to the pain of those desperately in need in Jesus. Both are necessary for a life of sacrificial worship. Here we see the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. 
If you believe that Jesus is better, you'll talk about him. You'll talk about how good he is with your wife, with your husband. You'll talk about how much better he is with your kids, with your grandkids. You'll talk about how good he is moving. I think if we normalize talking about Jesus within our homes, then this praise of our lips will then begin to become more natural within those outside of our home. We'll talk about him more regularly, acknowledging his name and thus praising him. Confess and proclaim that Jesus is better with your mouth. Fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Here in action we see do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. In other words, we are seeking the interest of others and consider the needs of those around us. We share what we have. It's not just ours, it's his. And we give, uh, we give to others to meet the needs of those around us because this is pleasing to him. So we offer our praise to God. As we conclude and as the band makes their way up, here's how we should respond because Jesus is better. This is what worship lived out looks like. Do you believe that Jesus is better? We've spent months in the book of Hebrews talking about this. And I pray that your affection for Jesus has grown, that your appetite for Jesus has intensified. Do you believe that he's better? It's lived out in your pursuits every day. Concern yourself with that which pleases the Lord. He is worthy. We've seen that the law is a shadow, a picture of Jesus who is the true form or substance. He is better. Similarly, God is not pleased with the prior pictures and shadows of worship through the blood of goats and bulls. It's not that that he's looking for. It's not that which pleases him. What pleases God is a redeemed people who offer themselves through the blood of Jesus. God is pleased through a life of sacrificial worship rooted in confident trust in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we rejoice with great joy this morning because we have hope. We rejoice that we have one who suffered outside the camp. We rejoice because Jesus is better. Lord, would you align our lives with this reality? Would we not seek so much to apply these things coldly in practice and make them artificial? But Lord, as we look to you and behold you in all of your beauty and all of your worth, would these be a response that we offer up our love, that we offer up our lives? It's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen.